everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And mm, it's it's been a while. It's It's been like a week since, uh, uh, two weeks maybe since we've recorded. Let me see if I got this still. Uh, we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're starting The House of Hades. How you no, doing today, Jane? I'm doing all right. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> oh, I'm all good. I, I sympathize with where you're at at the minute. I Every time that we take like a week out, it feels like it's been like a thousand years since we've done any kind of recording. Even though we recorded a bonus podcast like three days ago, it still feels like it's been a thousand years. Yeah, yeah that, that's really true. And because we released we released a sleepaway special last week so we skipped recording for that one and we we did like a it was a normal episode on one hand but also it was a big weird episode with that episode 100 uh, this is our first normal episode in a little while can can any of our episodes truly be described as normal <laughs> you know i don't know <laughs> i <laughs> i've always said that we're the most normal podcast on Mo- not only on moonshot but also anywhere we're the most normal Percy Jackson podcast. Oh, this is true. But th- <laughs> this is in the style of like least homophobic uh, alt right person <laughs> or whatever. Uh, what did you do with your week off, Jacqueline? With my week off, I you know I enjoyed a little bit of time away. I I played video games. I've I've been really been getting into that Crypt of the Necro Dancer, getting those achievements uh-huh. that I've. I, for for years now have eluded me, uh, and I <laughs> I cracked open some some new some new books to me you know like uh oh. like uh, uh, uh that I don't, have you ever heard of Rick Riordan? <laughs> yeah yeah he, he's come up a few times. I I started uh one the second Trace Navarre book uh so that's that's something. Oh shit! I got to do that. Yeah we, yeah. Uh, how, how about you? How about you? I've been good. I've also been playing videos game. Playing. I decided to replay the Arkham games because a bunch of them were on sale recently, so I just like grabbed them. Okay. Because I was like, well, these are basically like you know they're basically the Batman the animated series, but games. They've got oh, like, a sure. lot of the same voice actors. The setting is kind of it's a bit it's a bit grimmer because it's a video game, but it's basically the same. I. Uh, I feel like no Batman media really can measure up to the animated series in my brain. <laughs> uh-huh i'm playing this one and it's just like this super militarized prison and i need to feel really bad for all the guards who are like no i have a wife and kids as they've gone down by all the merciless criminals who none of whom have a single redeeming trait among them god and i'm just like you know maybe the constraints placed on batman by him being a fucking saturday morning cartoon character maybe those hold back the ugliest parts of the story i think that might be true <laughs> Speaking of the constraints placed on something by it having to be kind of a Saturday morning cartoon thing. Oh yeah, uh, so that's <laughs> we, we we've begun House of Hades. I should clarify before I should preface before we get into this, which I guess is what a preface is, that uh. we 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 decided to switch up the format a little bit. Uh, House of Hades, we've discussed this is the exact same length as Mark of Athena. Mm-hmm. However, it is uh, it has twenty more chapters. It's, he was really padding. That that might be true. I mean, same <laughs> same length, but we're just not. I'm not sure how that happens. So I am. Just, yeah. No. Yeah. No. I am too. Uh, so I think what we're gonna have to do is ramp up the chapters per episode if we don't want this to be a 19 episode uh, book. That is, unless we get sick of doing having to write six chapter summaries per episode, which could also happen. That's very true. Uh, but for now, we have decided to go with six chapters instead of four chapters. Uh-huh. So, Jane, do you mind hitting us with six whole chapter summaries? Uh, I can. These are six very long, very extensive summaries, all equal in length. Listeners, I think she may be being sarcastic to a degree. <laughs> <laughs> chapter one, Hazel. We called open on Nico, Hazel, and Leo trying to fly the Argo 2 over a mountain range to get from western to eastern Italy and then on to Greece. It's not going well, as Guy's mountain god children, the Numine Montananum, hurl boulders at the ship, eventually forcing them to back off. Nico explains that the reason they're having trouble finding an opening through the monsters is probably because they have the Athena Parthenos stashed in the trunk, 
which is attracting all of them. They discuss other options, but sailing is out because Percy is gone, and there's no major break in the mountains they can use over land. They consider waking up Jason, Piper, Frank, and Coach Hedge, who are the ship's current night shift, but Hazel objects, as she's worried that doing so will only exacerbate tensions. Apparently since losing Percy, the heart of the group, and Annabeth, its brains, the whole crew is coming apart at the seams, not helped by the stress of constant monster attacks. Hazel, feeling pretty hopeless, tries a quick prayer to Pluto for help, and for once her shitty dad seems to actually come through, as she spots someone on the ground nearby waiting for them, her horse, Arian. Chapter 2, Hazel. Arian seems to want Hazel to get on and ride him away from the ship, so she does that, letting him take her into a dark stormy maelstrom on a nearby mountain. <laughs> Chapter 3, Hazel. <laughs> In the centre of the storm there's an ancient set of Roman ruins, which seems to be a market at a crossroads. There's atmospheric mist everywhere, which Hazel quickly realises is capital M mist. As soon as she gets off Arian, the horse bolts, leaving her alone. She's confronted by the shifting form of a pale goddess with pure black eyes, accompanied by a pole cat and a Labrador, who introduces herself as Hecate, the goddess of magic. Chapter 4, Hazel. Hecate tells Hazel that she knew her mother, and even though she mostly used magic to swindle people, she actually had great untapped magical potential, which Hazel has now inherited. At this point, the polecat farts, and this prompts Hecate to introduce it as Gale, a former witch who got transformed because she was giving Hecate's other followers a bad name. Hecate also introduces her dog, which is apparently Hecuba, the former queen of Troy. Getting back on track, she explains that she was the one who helped Hazel's mother summon Pluto, in part because she knew that Hazel would have even greater magic potential as the child of a god. She then offers Hazel four choices. Hecate is the god of crossroads as well as magic, so she uses the crossroads in the ruins to illustrate the four paths that Hazel could take. To the west, Hazel sees a full-blown war between Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood, with herself and the Frey, desperately trying to stop the fighting. This would mean going back to America and using the Athena Parthenos to try and stop the fighting between the camps. To the east, the Argo II goes down in flames over the mountains and crashes. Hecate clarifies that if Hazel chooses this path, she and her friends will survive the crash, but be stranded in the mountains until the war between the camps has destroyed them both, and in all likelihood they won't be able to get to Epirus to stop Gaia. To the north, Hazel sees Leo falling to his death, Frank alone and injured in a dark tunnel, and herself in a cavern, alone except for the unmoving bodies of Percy and Annabeth. Somehow this option might actually be the least shit. Hecate will give them the location of a secret mountain pass far to the north, so the kids can get to Greece via a massive detour through Venice and Bologna. This means they'll be able to continue their mission, but it will also unfortunately mean they're able to continue their mission, with all the horrible shit that entails. Finally, if Hazel turns south and refuses all the options, she and the others will have to return to Rome, where in all likelihood Gaia's minions will kill them. Hecate emphasizes this book's ticking clock, August 1st, the Feast of Spesh, Goddess of Hope, where Gaia will wake in Greece and destroy all hope forever. If Hazel chooses to go north, which she will because that's the only route that doesn't 100% kill Percy and Annabeth, she'll need to learn magic from Hecate to manipulate the mist, both to hide the Argo too as it crosses the mountains and also to deal with her final boss fight in Epirus. Apparently Nico has already warned her about this fight, and told her not to tell anyone else about what she's going to face down as it might strain her friend's courage beyond its limits. Plus, according to Hecate, speaking the name of the person she's fighting alerts her to you. She says that Hazel should stop off in Bologna and seek out two dwarves who will give her something to help her survive the House of Hades, and that she'll watch over by periodically sending Gale the gassy polecat to check on her progress. Finally, Hazel asks why Hecate is helping her, since she sided with Kronos during the last Titan War. Hecate explains that her loyalty has always been fickle, she helped the Olympians overthrow the Titans despite being a Titan herself and fought Gaia last time, to the point where an anti-Hecate giant, Clitius, no fuck, that's not it, <laughs> Clatius exists, and waits for the Seven in the House of Hades. She calls supporting Cronus a mistake, born of bitterness about being a minor god, but now she's sticking with the Olympians. Hazel decides to go with the North Path and take Hecate's help, but she defiantly tells the god she's going to forge her own path, and manage to save the camps, her friends, and stop Gaia all at once. Hecate leaves, and Arian returns to take Hazel back to the Argo, where she fills Nico and Leo in on the plan, and they set off towards the pass. Chapter 5, Annabeth. Percy and Annabeth are still falling into Tartarus. We catch up with them just as the big hole finally opens out into the big cavern of Tartarus itself, which is literally just hell. Thankfully, instead of hitting the ground and being reduced to paste, they realise they're actually falling into a river, and that Percy can use the water to catch them. Chapter 6, Annabeth. Unfortunately, the river is Cocytus, which fills anyone with, who goes in its water with despair. 
Percy and Annabeth just manage to get out without giving up and drowning, and find that they're in a nightmare hellscape which is totally hostile to them. They have no food, no water, the ground is made of broken glass, and just to put the cherry on it, they find Arachne's trap nearby, which is missing Arachne. Annabeth says that if they want to not freeze to death out here, they'll need to find something called the River of Fire. So, what do you think of these chapters? After the banger ending that Mark of Athena had, I, I, I think this is simultaneously more subdued, but also a, a good follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm enjoying this opening, and it gets it gets... It marks itself as an opening very quickly, and it's interesting that it oh, was yeah. done through Hazel's perspective. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree. I like this opening. Uh, before we even get into the chapters, I would like to read the dedication in the front of this book, because I think it's hilarious. Yes, please. To my wonderful readers, sorry about that last cliffhanger. Well, no, not really. Ha 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 But seriously, <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> oh, Rick Riordan. This is, this is an Andrew Hussey move. <laughs> you say this whenever any author figure does any any kind of like trick on their audience and i don't think it's true i don't think that's an andrew hussey move exclusively i guess so okay let's travel <laughs> back in time to tumblr before like i said let's, <laughs> let's get in the machine and we're looking at the like authors who are uh like who everyone is like oh you killed all my favorite characters you're going to see jk rowling uh and you're going to see a picture of andrew hussey and i think this is this is the sort of like quote-unquote trollish play uh Uh like trollish maneuver that you you might you might not not really not to the same degree uh but it, it, Uh it, it it's in the same genre I just, the, the idea that, like, because Raiden must have interacted with the fandom to some degree. And the idea that, like, I don't know, the, 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 the energy of Hussey, like, radiated its way between different Tumblr fandoms and made its way to Raiden, like, made him do something like that is quite, it's disturbing to me. I don't like thinking about that. I wasn't even proposing that, but I do like that idea because it's <laughs> scary. Uh, so let's go with that. Yeah, so we complained a lot last book about Hazel not being one of the POV characters. Yes, so I was very pleased to open it and immediately see her. Yeah, that that was my reaction too. I think that her being the first POV character we get here, it softens the criticisms a little bit for me for last book because it means mm-hmm. like Hazel hasn't been totally sidelined in just the major arc of the series um i i still have most of those criticisms but i'm glad that we're getting to her yeah i'm glad i'm glad it's course corrected away from how bad it was in mark of Athena. now we very casually step up the power level of everything right away uh-huh some books start with like oh there's a scary lady like there's a couple of teenage girls who are actually demons oh there's a there's a big volleyball with some fucking giants yeah uh this one starts out with gods we're we're fighting gods (laughs) as soon as the book starts uh and leo is fucking carpet bombing them he is leo we don't and we don't get a lot of Leo here, but Hazel describes him as like he's been working nonstop. He's angrier. He doesn't smile or joke anymore, which she takes some pleasure in. Uh, and it's it's a kind of like it makes sense after the end of last book, but it's like my boy Leo. It's so sad to see him like this. It makes sense, and I kind of like it as a follow up to um because the way that Hazel talks about it is she feels kind of guilty that um that she kind of likes it when Leo is like this because it means that he's not reminding her of Sammy. And I kind of, it, it, it gels with what we saw in Leo's last full set of chapters where he was like, he was so sick of being in Rome and he hated it there so much that he kind of, he stopped caring about scoring boyfriend points with Hazel. Yes. I think that this is just kind of that thing writ large. Definitely. Yeah. It makes, the whole dynamic between this team is super interesting now. Like, this is a stroke of genius on Rick Riordan's part. Uh, uh-huh. if, you, if you look at the team, we have Annabeth and Percy and Hades and Tartarus, and you have uh, Jason, Frank, Piper, Leo, and Hazel and Nico on the boat. The, the thing you might notice about that is that 
We've it's basically an all newbies team. This is true. I guess I, the most experienced adventurer, by dint of having his memories of all his adventures, of his adventures, is probably Nico. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like Jason. Jason killed a Titan, but he doesn't remember doing that. And Nico isn't exactly like assuring to be around. Mm-hmm. He's kind of just a disaster, and so I think it make it makes it so these new characters have to like form their own identity and their own dynamics and their own cohesion, not just like as characters, but also with their roles in the series without Percy and Annabeth. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, but it's in the, what what I think is objectively the best, the best environment to do this kind of thing. If there's one thing I've learned from the Expanse, Battlestar Galactica, watching Black Sails with you, is that uh, there, there is no better environment for uh, interesting character development than uh, the crew of a boat who are constantly under attack and are kind of getting more and more frayed and exhausted and starting to fuck up more and really like bouncing off each other in that way. That's just that's a, that's the dynamic I like. I like this. Right, because it's the the prime like you are stuck together if you're on a boat, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is nowhere you can go. You have to keep fucking going. You're also going there very slowly, no matter what. I I have my own criticisms about boats, but I <laughs> I'll, I'll keep those to myself because I do think in this Your instance. Your boat critical. <laughs> I am boat critical, and <laughs> but I have critical support for the Argo too. <laughs> It's just yeah, you're right. It's just it's it's a pressure cooker, which is constantly being turned up while someone hits it with a baseball bat from the outside, and they're all stuck in it together. Absolutely, they are in this little snow globe, and someone is and Gaia is like shaking, shaking, shaking it. <laughs> these, these chapters get pretty short, huh? The, the this is we we've complained before about like oh Rick Ryden was just doing this to like keep with the format. That's why is this chapter? I swear to God, these are some of the shortest ones we've had. They are. I think there's a hazel one, which is like three pages. There are two of them in a row. There are, Mm -hmm. they, I think the shortest one we got last book was uh, Piper's memory of the story with the flood. And these are both comparable to that. Mm -hmm. They're not quite like turn the page and it's done, but it's like maybe one more page. You get, this is like maybe six pages in total for two chapters. If that. Yeah. Which, what, what do you think about that? I don't know. My my assumption would be that we're going to get more character perspectives in this book. So, like, as a result of that, each even though they get four chapters ago, they have to be slimmed down, have to be slimmed down quite a lot to fit in the same word count as Mark Athena page count. Sorry. I see what you're saying. That makes sense to me. It, not to prejudge since we haven't even seen if that's true or not yet, but I. I, I wonder if that's the best maneuver because that just means we're going to get less from each character rather than getting to be able to mm. like develop a full a full arc from them unless we're sort of supposed to take what we know of them already building off of like the last book since this is kind of a pretty direct continuation and just kind of go from there yeah I mean this, this, I feel like some of the pre especially in um, Percy Jackson and the Olympians uh, so the books would sometimes try to be like a little bit standalone like, they obviously built on what had happened in previous installments, but, like, you'd get a little bit of a feeling on what the context was at the start. You would kind of get a, a little reintroduction to Percy. So if you were just, like, a kid picking it up from the library, you'd know you'd know what was up. This this is just, like, a direct, straight-up continuation from the end of Mark of Athena. Like, if you didn't read the last one, you're fucked. Yeah, and that started in Mark of Athena, right? We talked about that at the beginning and how at the end of uh, Son of Neptune, like, we see their boat pulling up at the shore. Like, yeah. We, it's been sort of a continuous story. There haven't been any any, any major resets like you're talking about uh, since then. And because of that, we are getting a bit of a departure from that style of, like, more contained character arcs, more, like, more, like, pick upable books i guess mm-hmm. and i guess maybe the advantage of that is that we can hopefully sustain this like more perspectives without necessarily losing anything i hope so but we do we do pretty quickly gain something which is uh Arion. 
<laughs> we do get the horsey back. I love the horsey. We don't get him back for long. He doesn't stay on the boat, but... He doesn't stay on the boat. He fucks off and leaves Hazel with the potentially evil magic god. Yeah. Let's talk about Hecate. I, I think that the, the most interesting thing we learn about Hecate in these chapters is that I feel it is strongly implied that she is like... Darth Plagueis style engineered Hazel's conception. Yes. <laughs> I I had not thought about that until you just said it, but yes, that seems like, can you talk more about that? Cause she's like, wow, uh this this Marie lady, she has a lot of magical potential and she's trying to get in touch with Pluto. Maybe if I hook them up, they'll have a kid who has like god powers and a huge amount of magical potential. And in 14 years, I can, you know, take this kid under my wing and start teaching her magic and get my get my hooks in. The Olympians wouldn't tell you about this. and <laughs> This is classic god bullshit. Yeah, it is. Kind of to a degree <laughs> that we've, we've never gotten that sort of plot before, but you're incredibly right. Hecate did come off to me here as a shrewd manipulator. Like, uh, the way that mm. she, like shows hazel multiple paths and is like oh but you could take the secret fourth one and that'll be the only good one but you know you probably won't want to do that like, <laughs> the one that requires my help and supervision exactly all the other ones will definitely get everyone everyone you love killed but you know you'll probably want to go with one of those not the one that i would be you know in control of <laughs> also i also think have- it's very funny that she she tries to pitch the one way you can like where Hazel can fucking see that Percy and Annabeth are, like, lying dead on the ground, and she's like, that's the only one where Percy and Annabeth live, I swear. <laughs> yes. Uh, I I guess knowing their track record, that's probably true, though. Yeah, probably. <laughs> They're just sleeping. It's very tiring to be in Tartarus. Yeah. This is not the first time we've met uh, Hecate, though, is it? Uh, I was, try- I was struggling to remember this. Did she show up before, or was that Cersei? Need I remind you of Haley Ryard and Seminole Son of Magic? Wait, when does Hecate show up in that? Hecate is the is the like fucking whatever the kid's name is, Alabaster. Oh yeah, Alabaster's mom. Oh shit, you're right. Hecate was like sort of implied that the Christian God Israel, if I remember correctly, uh, talked a lot about like there was everything with Lamia. There was all the the mist stuff in there. This is directly building off of all of that. Holy shit! Yeah, to complete all I remember, all, all the all I think about from that story is all the uh, like shit that the the demigod character says about the Olympians. I'd forgotten that Hecate was in that and did all those things that you just said. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, this, so this, I really I like that on just the level of like it's cute, like right? Yeah. Like I'm I'm a I'm making my child's work important in a way that isn't. You don't have to go and read it, but if you have read it, it's, it's a little bit rewarding. Yes. Yes, exactly. It, it it's consistent, and also Hecate was an interesting figure there, right? Like she, and mm-hmm. she's interesting here too. She was a she's crossed the lines between like villain and hero within the context of like the Olympian Wars and such multiple times in her life, in the series and in just like the mythology, and the fact that she is the one here who Hazel has to choose to accept the support of, is. It's interesting because it follows really well after the end of last book where uh, we were sort of directly given, like, should we trust the gods? Are they bad? Are they actually really fucked up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it builds on another thing from the last book, which is kind of like, you know, all the all the Olympians are out of commission, so we're kind of having to, having to rely on support from the gods who are kind of ne'er-do-wells. Like Nemesis. Exactly. Or, I don't know, who's that fucking hippie one from Son of Neptune? Was that Iris? Oh, yeah, that was Iris. Yeah. With the Rafflecopter. Oh, lord. That's, that's that exactly right. That was the dodgiest, right. I think. But, you know, Iris messaging was always such a funny thing. I, we <laughs> we talk about, like, Rafflecopter or whatever. The There has literally been a thing called IMing that was Iris messaging since book one. I feel... I, is that a joke we've ever even acknowledged, or did we just take that as red and move on? I, I think we just didn't give it the dignity <laughs> to even talk about it. But I can't wait for Dionysus to start up his own like Discord competitor so that they can have DMing instead. <laughs> oh, Lord. I 
I guess speaking of Rick Riordan's humor, the <laughs> Gale is confusing to me. This is specifically what I meant when I was talking earlier about like the constraints of it feeling like a fucking Saturday morning cartoon. You can have the ghosts of a dead child from the 40s uh, be on this epic quest that is like tied up in these different layers of reality and ultimately have to be uh ultimately have to be like these life or death stakes uh but you have to make sure that there is a farting polecat also you need to interrupt the bit where the the dubiously trustworthy god is trying to manipulate her into becoming like her magical apprentice to have the polecat do a big fart it it's not okay I'm, i'm not a child so maybe it'd be funny to have a child, but I'm not even objecting to the, the, I don't object to this kind of stuff being in the books. They're for kids. I get it. But it's like the party ponies thing where it just feels like out of place to put it in this bit. Yeah. Also, it feels like some incredibly like oblique reference and in a way that Rick Riordan doesn't usually do like it feels like Gale is a, is either going to be like, it feels like Gale is a reference to something in mythology that, like, we just have gotten too obscure at this point to understand. Yeah, see, I, I was looking at Gale and was, like, taking note of the fact that, oh, it's a transformed person who uh, farts a lot and is a polecat. And I was like, is this a character from Sea of Monsters that I've forgotten about or something? Was she on, like, Cersei's Island of Magic People? Because she's a rodent as well, and Cersei turned people into rodents, so question mark. Right. Oh, Cersei turned people into hamsters, I think, right? Uh, yeah, hamster, polecat, close enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't really know. I tried looking into it a little bit. There was like a really kind of, some somebody was like, this might be a reference to this, like very obscure mythology thing, and I, I, I decided to close the page. <laughs> I, I think Rick you put Riordan, as much thought into it as Rick Ryden did. Yes, I think I think he simply may have wanted to put a farting animal in there. And you know what? I gotta say, this is a downgrade from the last animal whose whole thing was farting. I don't think this is as funny as Hindenburg. <laughs> I forgot about Hindenburg. <laughs> God, that was a good camp. That was a good bit. Like, a decent bit. It wasn't a great bit, but it was an okay bit. And Yeah, because it was a bit that was just like, we're traveling from place to place and the camel is farting. We're not doing it in the middle of a dramatic scene. <laughs> yes, exactly. I thought you were going to talk about the other uh, prominent farting animal, uh, Grover. (laughs) That's fucked up. Why would you say that about Grover? You're right. I'm sorry. He's not prominent at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's sad, but true. I remember you had some problems when we talked about the Son of Magic. I, I, I think you said that you specifically had some problems with its explanation of how the mist worked. Oh, yeah. I, I was complaining that, um, like, the Son of Magic says that the mist is entirely Hecate. Yeah. What, what do you think of it here, I guess, is my question then, because it seems like the mist is really going to be a big part of this book. It seems like it's going to be a big part of this book, but it is... I do, I do think it's, like, rowing back on that a little bit, and it's more just... It's a kind of magic. Hecate is the goddess of magic, so she has quite a lot of influence over it. Mm-hmm. Is all we really get here. Yeah, that's true. I am, I'm interested in seeing. I'm interested in seeing more of it. Like, I think the idea of Hazel becoming a cool wizard is fun. That is fun. Also, I just mist manipulation was a cool concept, and it, it kind of got dropped by the end of PJO. Like yeah. Annabeth did it a few times. I think Thalia might have done it once or twice, but it it was it was never something that was really explored. So I'm glad that we're kind of bringing it back. Yeah, when it, I think the first time it showed up was with Thalia. She was like, it was kind of her signature trick a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really lent her an air of like power and sort of an understanding of the world that like Percy, for instance, did not have. The idea that Hazel, who by the nature of her character is very, is already very between these uh, layers of reality, could harness this, makes it, uh, more directly relevant to like character and I, I just think is like a cool idea I, I I think it's fun yeah definitely oh wait actually yeah speaking of of Hazel and magic stuff I think I, I would also like to congratulate Rick Ryden 
uh-huh. uh, for introducing the idea that you could be a cool magical character in this setting without having magic blood that makes you cool. Oh, yes, yes. Because, like, as far as we know, Hazel's mum wasn't a demigod or anything like that. And, like, I suspect it would have come up if she was, like, um, like descended from the pharaohs or something. Uh-huh. So I, I, th- I think it's just, like, sometimes sometimes a person's magic. Yeah, I, I, I didn't clock that, but you're right, because the closest we've gotten to this is, like, people who can see through the mist like Rachel Elizabeth yeah. Dare or I think Percy's mom yeah. and we we haven't gotten like this person can straight up use magic without being a without being a demigod that is interesting that is something that I am happy is introduced here because like like you said I hate that <laughs> we, we are focused so much on like magical bloodlines it just we've we've been complaining about that since book one Definitely, yeah. I, I, it might not be something that a lot is done with, but I'm just I'm glad that it's there and that it exists. Yeah, right. Like the its introduction, kind of. It's it's like I said before, not removing my previous criticisms, but it does make me feel a bit better about them. Like maybe some, mm-hmm. like maybe they have been noted in some way by the series. <laughs> Rick Ryden was listening to this podcast all the way back in 2012 or whenever he was writing this. He's our he's our biggest fan, as as we've learned. God, one day we should try and get Rick Ryden on the show. We'll do it for like episode 200. <laughs> I just feel like even if we got as far as like emailing his agent or something, his agent would like scroll through our feed, read like three episode titles, and like blacklist us. Probably right. Like <laughs> let's, let's see those. We've got oh they're playing a horror game that is about children being murdered. Uh, uh okay let's see. They, and we bastardized got, the setting for that. Let's see we've got uh, uh Lance's big smooth head. They're talking about one of our actors, one of our prized actors. They can't say that <laughs> about him. Uh, <laughs> foreskin that's a that's a layer <laughs> too far. Yeah, yeah you gotta you gotta remove that layer pretty early on. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. You, some people, it's 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 really a toss up in today's day and age whether you will. Uh huh. What the fuck were you talking about? The one other thing that Hazel is really getting up to here is becoming Annabeth. She's kind of she's kind of yeah trying to step into that Annabeth leadership role. Yeah. Which I like for her, but it feels strange as a move when we have. Piper, who was friends with Annabeth, and it would kind of feel more natural for her to want to step into that role. Or Frank, whose whole deal in Son of Neptune was meant to be like, you'll grow to be the leader of the quest, which has not happened. It really hasn't, has it? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, completely forgot about that just because of how little it's been mentioned since. Frank's only mention in these chapters is Hazel saying, damn, I wish I had a sweet, caring boyfriend. Which, yeah. Oof. <laughs> you got to shape up, buddy. He really does. I Okay, here's my hope for House of Hades. We need the Frank redemption arc. <laughs> God, I hope so. Our our favorite character from Son of Matt from fuck from Son of Neptune <laughs> really sort of crashed and burned in Mark of Athena. Maybe Leo being a shithead will give him time to learn and reflect on his actions. I to hope be ashamed so. of his words and deeds. Yeah. I, but more so than just her like actively trying to go for the leadership position, she is taking a sort of narrative role too. And so far as like Hecate tells her that you must defeat the witch, you alone can defeat her, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the same thing Annabeth had last book, right? Right down to uh, Nico being like, now you can't tell anyone what the actual boss fight is going to be. We got to keep that a secret for the audience. I mean, because the crew's courage. Uh, might not be able to take learning who it is. Right, right. I forgot about this, but Nico and Hazel, it suggests they do sort of know what's going to happen ahead of us and are sort of keeping mm-hmm. it uh, private. People, yeah. no no matter what, in Rick Riordan books, people will find a way to learn secret information between books. Learn a secret, don't tell the other characters, keep alluding to it for the reader, no matter how annoying that gets. Uh, I guess we'll keep a counter. We'll keep a counter and see if it gets <laughs> annoying in this one. Speaking of counters, we got another ticking clock. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I, I give up. Fuck it. Put one in every book. Put three in every book. I don't care anymore. <laughs> and they're never going away. We need to have a clock just, like, literally ticking down every... That would actually be kind of... That would be more interesting if, like, every single page of the book was marked by a clock that showed how close we were to the end of the book. I think that's just checking how many pages are left. I guess so. <laughs> I guess that's true. You know, are, have we have we thought about the fact that like these climaxes are pretty consistently at like the last they're in the last uh like sixth of the book, sometimes like the last fifth, and mm-hmm. uh, we can pretty much just sort of take the ticking clock as a narrative insertion of the fact that we are reading a book and the book will eventually end and get to a climax. Maybe maybe th- that that ticking clock itself is representative of the turning of the pages in a way that we haven't given Rick Riord enough credit for. Uh, I would say that it's very obvious that I'm reading a book when I'm reading a book, and we shouldn't give him any credit for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Have to agree. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Hazel and being a leader and stuff, I kind of, I, I like the scene with Hecate. I do kind of wish that um, it was more a case of like, she's off these four choices and there is like a terrible cost to each of them, no matter what she picks. Because like, she gets the choices, but there's really only one thing for her to pick. And I feel like if we're doing, if we're doing the Hazel leadership arc, there should be like, oh, if you do this thing, you'll lose the Athena, the, the Athena Parthenos or whatever. And if you go this way, uh, Leo will lose his fucking Archimedes data. Uh, and if you go this way, Frank has to fight a fire monster. And maybe he won't die, but he will resent you forever for being the one who made him do that. I just, I don't know. It, it feel, I get that it's also a thing of like Hecate manipulating her, but it, 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 for having four choices laid out, there is really only one choice. Yeah. And that's true, and Hazel does end up broadly going with that choice, but we shouldn't discount the fact that uh, what what happens literally in the book is that Hazel says, I'm going to do that, but I'm not actually going to be picking one of your four choices. I'm going mm-hmm. to be making my own path and I'm going to like win everything and not lose anything. So uh-huh. we are being set up, maybe not necessarily like the pride before the fall, uh, but we are set up with high expectations. Hazel wants to uh, 100% this run. That's true. That is true. But it's not just Hazel who we're with in these chapters. We're with Leo and Nico. Uh, it's just, I, I like um, that when they're talking about, oh, maybe we could go sailing. Uh, Nico is the one who was like, ah, uh, we can't because Percy fucking died. Uh-huh. I just, it, it notes how, like, fucked up he sounds about that. And, like, it definitely makes sense that he'd be the person who is most distraught about this because, A, he's known Percy the longest out of anyone there. Uh, B, he's been to Tartarus. He knows what's happening to Percy right now. Yeah, Nico and Percy have a rocky relationship, right? Like, they, <laughs> they are... Sometimes Nico's betraying him. Sometimes Percy's trying to throttle him to death. Sometimes yes. Nico gaslights him into thinking that they've never met. All of this is true. But <laughs> that makes for a more compelling... Uh, horribly uh, toxic dynamics make for more compelling character <laughs> relationships. Uh, pretty universally, and <laughs> and no, they're, it's a they're big not that swing. Bad. They're you know what? Fine, I'll I'll stick with that. The more toxic a relationship, <laughs> the better it is for the book. And I actually, I guess by that logic, though, Percy and Nico aren't really that like they don't really. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh-huh. if that was the case, the Hazel and Frank and Leo stuff would be our favorite thing, and it is not. <laughs> yes, yes, it's very true, <laughs> but. They've had a Nico and Percy have had a storied relationship, and mm-hmm. I am glad that that's being emphasized here. That they are like they've been friends for a long time. Nico looked up to him, uh, yeah, and I Percy's loss is felt, and that's cool. Yeah, I like. I also like just again with like you know Mark Athena really giving Annabeth her due as a long running character, that like. It, she's kind of in the same breath as Percy is like, these were two equally devastating blows to this group. Yes. I like that she's given that same weight. Yeah, right. Well, she is on that level. She is no longer like the girlfriend of the main character. She is the main character too. She is not the token girl in the quest group from the first book. Exactly. 
Which is not to say that she was bad in that book, but still. Anyway. Yeah. Well, speaking of Annabeth. Speaking of Annabeth, we smash cut to... Um, do you remember that bit from Portal 2? Where you were kind of... You're falling down the shaft with GLaDOS and she's like monologuing you. You're frustrated for a minute because you're just falling and falling and falling. I think you've referenced that bit on this podcast before. And I'm going to say what I probably said back then. Which is that I haven't played <laughs> Portal 2, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, yeah, I did say that. It was, it was two weeks ago. I My, my memory is bad. But they are literally doing that thing, but less funny. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing that thing, but slightly more tragic, which is that instead of, like, a little <laughs> robot that is monologuing at you, they just are, like, two teenagers in a relationship who are hugging each other as they fall to their deaths. And Annabeth is whispering, like, I love you to him, and, like, the wind is so loud that she doesn't know if she can if he can hear her. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's very, this first chapter, very short, again, <laughs> But it doesn't need to be super long, I don't think. Uh, uh-huh. it, it pretty much gets the entire point across, I think, in the first two words of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Which are just nine days. <laughs> and, and Annabeth further goes on to be like, nine days is how long uh, like a, a Greek poet theorized it would take to fall to Tartarus. She hoped that it wouldn't be that long, but it felt like it had already been days. And... It definitely has been, right? <laughs> it has. It, assuming these are happening in parallel, it has to have been. Uh, there's no uh-huh. way this is like the same day as they were uh, in Rome, right? Yeah, the the Argo, they, they specifically mentioned the Hazel chapter that the Argo is like hundreds of miles north of Rome. So they've been booking it. Yeah. And it's 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 bad. That's fucked, right? Like, <laughs> as, the image of being in free fall for not like any period of time absolutely scary uh, uh-huh. days on end not knowing when you're going to hit the ground and die that's torture actually wait no it can't have been days it can't oh. well it can't have been more than like a few days because they would have just died of dehydration if it had been more than three uh i guess that's true yeah maybe it hasn't been that long because annabeth talks about how her ankle is like freshly mended from the ambrosia oh that's true yeah I, also, I just think it's very funny that this proves pretty conclusively that like Jason and Frank could have saved them. Yeah, I I did. I don't think we mentioned it in the last and like cause it felt like it would t- kind of take away from things and be kind of nitpicky. But Frank could have turned into a bird and flown down there. Jason could have flown down there. I don't. I I guess they would have also probably got sucked into Tartarus at that point. Like I think they mentioned like oh the pull of Tartarus was very strong. I suppose so. Yeah. I, listen, I, I wouldn't have said anything, but Rick Ryden uses the words terminal velocity in these chapters. And the moment you say that, you bring up the fact that, well, Jason can fly faster than terminal velocity if he's going down. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that has been said. <laughs> it's it's weird breaking format. <laughs> it's weird having two very short chapters in an arc that doesn't get finished. Yeah. It's not something we... I... Okay. The closest thing I can compare this to is, like, when we were reading, like, the first five books and it was all just Percy POV. And Mm. sometimes we would, like, land in a chapter, like, that just had started a new art, had started a new little mini encounter or something. Yeah. That's kind of what this feels like. I think we managed to establish the interesting cliffhangery bits of what's happening with Annabeth at the very least. Yeah, definitely. We- I also I I like to imagine I like to, I do sometimes like to imagine that Rick Ryden listens to this on the sly and will just never say anything about it. And I like the mental image of him sitting at home after listening to us bitch about how much he like sticks to formula for like three books straight, and listening to us kind of floundering a little now that we're breaking our formula and being like, yeah, that's why I don't do it, you fuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chapter six though is. I, it's very classic in a lot of ways. They're in hell, and <laughs> the water hurts Percy. The air is like poison and chokes you, and the ground hurts because it's broken. It's all broken glass. There is a specific line which is like um, the greatest cosmic joke from Gaia. Annabeth Chase drowns trying to save her son of Poseidon boyfriend from drowning, which I just thought was very funny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's. It ultimately becomes very sweet because they use, like, their hopes and dreams to survive, like, depression. (laughs) 
true. And that sort of uh, continues. Something we couldn't really think about in Mark of Athena because Annabeth had her own shit going on, but Percy did pretty directly prompt her, like, hey, I want to, like, have a life with you. Like, I want to go to college with mm-hmm. you. I want to do this. And Annabeth did not have time to think about it then, but she's in a big hole now. She's She's been falling for God knows how long. She's had time to mull it over and be like, you know what? That sounds better than being in a big hole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. God, it, when is Annabeth going to be cut some slack? Because I feel like she had the shit kicked out of her consistently for the, basically the back half of Mark of Athena. Mm-hmm. And now she fucking, she lands in the Depression River, which she has to fish her boyfriend out of. She cuts her hands on a bunch of broken glass because that's just what the ground is made out of. And then she walks five feet and finds the arachne trap, missing its arachne. It's just like, oh, she's lurking down here and is going to kill me. She's having a rough time, I guess. I don't know. I, she can handle it. It's Annabeth. Hey, Annabeth, maybe if you just like actually said, hey, I can help you get your uh, tapestries into, the, into Mount Olympus, this wouldn't be a problem. That's true. Arachne, <laughs> imagine this book if Arachne had like been a weird ally that, they're, that they have to travel with. Ooh, they have like a, a tenuous alliance with this kind of side villain as they're traveling through the underworld. I mean, I guess that could still happen, but like, yeah, them both, like they're all injured. They're trying to like travel through Tartarus together, not knowing when the other could stab them in the back. And what they should do to make sure that uh, she can't fuck them over is, like, set up a spell where uh, they can just, like, wrap her in, like, uh, weird magic ribbons whenever she tries to, like, betray them. Is this a reference to something? This is a reference to um, uh, Carter and Zia uh, with Setney. Oh! And I think, uh, what is it? Serpent Shadow. Yes. Yes. No, that was just a good, that was a good plot point. For some reason, I thought you were referencing Dragon Ball for a second. Uh, I've not watched Dragon Ball. There's a, so early on in Dragon Ball, Goku and Bulma on their quest to find the Dragon Balls meet a little pig named Oolong who kidnaps girls. uh, And uh, they take him, they take him with them and Bulma forces him, like force feeds him a poison, the kind of poison that you only see in anime <laughs> from that era that like can like mind control you, I guess, uh, or like uh-huh. the kind of poison that fucking turned uh, Jimmy Kudo into uh, Detective Conan, like a, a little boy instead of a teenager. It's it makes it so every time she says piggy, he shits himself so he can't run away from them <laughs> or do anything he they don't like. Excuse me. Yeah, so that's that's what happens in Dragon Ball. So they just have sort of this like prisoner with them the entire time, who's this weird little perverted pig, and uh, that that could have been what this was in this book with Arachne. And you're saying that this book would be better if Annabeth had a code word that made Arachne shit herself. <laughs> I don't. I'm to not saying any better. Gale the the gassy polecat up in the the mortal realm. Have we considered that the series as a whole just needs more poo poo pee pee jokes? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's been a real deficit lately. <laughs> I I had one nitpick. Uh-huh. Annabeth says I went at one point, like, oh, like, oh, my backpack is gone. Maybe I lost it during the fall, or maybe it washed away in the river. Didn't we see her backpack like when it fell down last book? Yeah, she definitely lost it and was like, fuck it, I don't care. Uh, I'm just gonna get on the boat and go, and I'm not even gonna cut this suspicious bit of silk around my leg. Yeah, this it's one of those things that like if you're writing two separate books it is a detail that you it makes sense to sort of get uh-huh. slightly wrong. But because we just finished that book and we're starting this book right now, it it I I am still close enough to that to be like no, that doesn't quite track <laughs> with where Annabeth was on that specific detail. Ding. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm I'm Jacqueline Son of Sons now. <laughs> you're evil now i'm evil <sighs> anything else you want to say about these chapters oh uh a little bit more about hecate's like allegiances uh a i thought it was kind of annoying that she doesn't really explain why she's stuck with the olympians this time uh-huh like hazel asks her why and uh hecate is just like well these are the sides i took in each war and that's not what she asked uh-huh. I can't tell if that's a deliberate evasion or just, like, 
some slightly dodgy writing. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure. There's a lot of confusion around uh, Hecate here. They they have to talk around who I guess the ultimate villain will be because they're mm. like, oh, it's Voldemort, basically. Like, if you say if you say the person's name out loud, they'll know. I like how we said last book that we'd just done away with that after Mr. D, and then it comes back immediately after we say that. <laughs> yeah, except now instead of for Gauze, it's just for, like, some random witch or something. I don't know who it is. Bet it's Cersei again, and she's just still a hamster. Could be cool. That being said, the, the one reason I can think of is, you know, despite most of her kids being killed or whatever, uh, she does get treated slightly better as a minor god. So it's like, hey, maybe the Olympians should listen to Percy. Because, you know, they they treated Hexy slightly better and she didn't flip on them this time. Maybe it would be better if they didn't fucking just break that deal they made with him at every opportunity. Yeah, you know what? That might be true. <laughs> it, it turns out, this is kind of a radical statement. If you treat people better and you sort of make like living conditions better, if you sort of make everything equal, maybe this is a little bit too radical for the like, we have to uh, increase borders series. Um, <laughs> but... In a, like, equal society, crime will not exist in the same way. People won't, like, have to do these things because of various factors. Or at the very least, you don't, like, if even if you are, like, the god-king tyrant, you don't even need to make things equal. You just need to make things not shit enough that people won't be like, well, my interests are more aligned with this weird fascist dark lord than you. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh, also, last last thing, I swear. Okay. Uh, it it it, hap- it happened in the the summaries to me, so I can see why he did it. I find it very funny that um, Rick Ryden has to like very explicitly say how to pronounce Clitius. Clitius, I think, right? Uh, because it it definitely does look like Clitius. And he doesn't want a bunch of like middle school kids reading his books and yelling about clits in class when they're doing their book reports. Yeah, <laughs> it's very funny. I. I've always, this is a bit more direct than what we've talked about in like previous books where Rick Riordan manages to very subtle, like, very, I've, I've always liked this when Rick Riordan like says a word that sounds kind of like the word, uh, just to like simultaneously be like, these characters are kids. They don't really know all these words. Uh huh. Here we just get a straight up like pronunciation guide. And like, this is not a criticism. I want to be clear. Like, Unironically, good catch. Probably for the best that you did that. It's just oh, funny definitely. as well. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that might do it for us today. I think so. It's a it's a triumphant return. We're going to figure out this new format, I guess, unless everyone hates it, in which case we'll return to our old format, and then <laughs> this will be like no, a five No, fuck month. you. No, you know what? We, we won't take any... If you have criticisms, uh, take them to your nearest toilet, and... <laughs> Our, our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We're hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. You can find them at moonshotpods.com. You can find us on Twitter at UnwiseGirls, where we have links to our episodes, updates, uh, visual companions, if they're needed. Oh, fuck, we forgot to do a cover comparison. Oh, my God, we did. That, that was close. That was close. Oh, my God. Cancel uh... the fucking outro. Cancel the fucking outro. Or do we the, do it the next outro week? is cancelled. We already have let not cishet fall by the wayside because of how this series is structured. We can't we can't kill this time on a tradition as well. So show me, Jane. We're here in the cover corner. <laughs> we're like running ragged here. I need to know what your cover looks like. This is an example of one of the things that we'll post visual companions for on our Twitter. <laughs> Go ahead, Jane. Okay, so the Mark of Athena cover was, like, unusually for British Percy Jackson covers, actually pretty good. Like, it it, it doesn't bother with, like, the book's whole thing about Arachne being a weird twist villain. It's just, she's on the front, she looks like a Dark Souls boss, Annabeth is, like, posing coolly and looking up at her, and her back is to the camera so there's not a weird, uncanny valley face. Uh, this cover is absolute dog shit. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I, this is a. This looks like a Kane Chronicles cover. This looks like there's there's Sadie, there's Carter, there's a big red CGI man. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> this is what this looks like. Oh my god, this is the stuff of legends. Who's saying that? Is that the fucking like Daily Mail? The probably? Guardian, apparently. Okay. Same thing. That, that that has been on every fucking uh, copy of these books that I bought. 
That, that quote is for like one of the early PGO books and they plastered it on everything. God. Yeah. They, these are two, uh, it looks like just photographs of two people. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly. Or maybe, and like, yeah, just like a big red CGI man uh, in like a <laughs> big Roman helmet. I assume this is um, Annabeth and Percy fighting, I don't know, fucking... Who was that? Who was that big giant from the cover? Your cover of Battle of the Labyrinth was that Typhon? Oh, because yeah. he had a big Roman helmet as well. I think so. Wait, I know who it is. It's Bob. Oh, Bob's back and I... he's evil now. No, I don't want Bob to be evil. <laughs> God, he, I... he got out of the Amnesia River and fell in the Depression River. <laughs> I and hope Bob comes up. back. <laughs> I I want to show you my cover because mine is a lot. I I like mine a lot. I'm excited. Here we have uh it's it's also Annabeth and Percy, but oh, that's re- pretty good. Represented a bit more. First of all, as like not like actual like people. It's sort of in the sort of a very gritty style in comparison to a lot of other PJO books. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got like uh Percy basically dragging Annabeth along. They're sort of dragging each other along through like this twisted river and there's like magma and winged demons. They are going toward what looks like a bridge. There's bridges in a lot of these covers I've noticed actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, Percy is holding his sword and I, I love the, the detail I love here is that Percy is like looking back horrified. Like his eyes are open so wide and like, you can see the whites of them in a way that is it, it it's, it has a lot of emotion there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I, I he really... Lo- like he looks it. fucked up. He does. They, he looks very fucked up. Yeah, this is a much better color, as as fucking always. Why can't the, they just reuse the cover? There must be, like, a rights thing. Must be. I did find this one, uh, which is the Dutch cover, I guess. Which... It doesn't even have Annabeth on it. Yeah, where's, where's Annabeth? What the fuck is this? This is uh, Helden von Olympus, uh, Hetwis von Hades. Helden Ring. Helden Ring. <laughs> this does. Percy does look like a fucking Helden Ring character here. <laughs> that's isn't that the big tree that's in the that's in the middle of Elden Ring? That's that's what he's looking at. I I don't know shit about Elden Ring. That's fair. Ah, uh, well. I think that might be at first. We, we've gone through the cover pretty quickly, but I, I, there's not. A, I, I think we got our point across. It's the same. It's the same drum we've been banging literally since the first episode. Yes, exactly. But it's always fun to go back and make sure how. It's always fun to go back and see how right we were. And some, sometimes, occasionally, like Mark of Athena, there's a good cover. Exactly right. Uh, so yes, our Twitter, etc., blah blah blah. If you want to support us, you can go and tell your friend about us. You can tell uh, uh that your podcast, your one friend, your one friend. <laughs> you listen to a fucking Percy Jackson podcast. How many <laughs> friends do you think they have? Uh, <laughs> you could leave a five star rating and review. Although after me saying that, maybe you won't want to. <laughs> and you can go and support us on Patreon.com/slash/UnwiseGirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of the Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of a friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep. Yeah, uh, for the last couple of episodes, uh, we kind of we kind of accidentally tripped backwards into Black Sales being the thing that we do on the bonus show now. I don't know how long that will keep doing that, but it's, it's interesting and it's good. And it's got fucking Poseidon and Aphrodite, I think, in it from uh, the Medusa. TV show. Medusa. You're thinking that she's Aphrodite because she fucks and such. Uh, Yes. Yeah. This is my bias. Exactly. It's the girl bossing. <laughs> That's right. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll probably I I don't know, we might we might keep doing just the entire series of black sales is what we might end up doing cuz it's really good. This is true. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank uh Simcoe, I love Sammy's great, Danny, Tana, Mercy, Veronica, Friend, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood.
，拜拜，拜。Journey to distant realms, explore the furthest reaches of the universe, survive deadly dangers, experience matters of the heart, and more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey. That's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table. <laughs>